Hallelujah. Well, we're going to start over in 1 Corinthians, I think, chapter 10. I've been on a theme lately, and I'm, I feel to kind of stick on it. And it's with trying to dissect what really is spiritual, because I think a lot of, a lot of things that's happened in our churches across America and across the world have a spiritual ism has come in and is masking as something that's really spiritual. And what can happen is if you play with something that's not truly spiritual, then you think you're changing, you think things are changing, but really nothing really changes. <clears throat> Maybe you've been in a service where you've been prophesied over or got excited about an answered prayer and felt that this is it, I'm done, it's finished, and the next day nothing changed. Or the next month nothing changed. And you were curious. I thought I had a spiritual experience. And so I want to, I'm attempting, with the help of the Holy Ghost hopefully, to dissect for us what truly is spiritual, what truly is life-changing what truly doesn't falter and fail in your life. Because you are a spiritual creature. Let's actually hold your finger there in 1 Corinthians. And we'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 real quick. In verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul's job of trying to explain to people of all kinds of back history, different upbringings, different cultures, the Greeks, the Romans, the Jews, and trying to explain to them what happened to them once they were born again? Apostle Paul, I asked Jesus in my heart, but I don't know what, cha- what really happened to me. What really changed? And when you have a history of religion or history of idolatry in your life, then that tries to shape your experience rather than allowing God to tell you the truth. Now I'm I'm back over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. What I've discovered in my life through experiences with people and with myself is that there are times when someone experiences something And to them, it justifies their life. So someone maybe, for instance, one day there was a young man here at the church who needed to get a job. (laughs) He needed to work. He needed to find a job. He needed to make a living. He was mooching off of others. He was in the name of prayer. And he wasn't that God told him to not work as much as he felt that if he didn't work, it was a, a symbol a sign of his spirituality and his success. You know, I remember John asked me one day, I don't think I have enough faith. I said, what's the problem? Well, this guy and this guy and this guy, they're they're all living by faith. They don't have jobs and God's providing for them. And, you know, bless the Lord, they're doing great. And and I'm working and, and I feel like I'm missing it. And I said, well, John, I said, you know, those guys are single their expense for the month is $12.95, and they can live a whole month off of that. you got three kids and a wife, and 
you know, it's a little easier to live by faith when you don't have any responsibility. And it's a bad thing, it's a bad habit to learn how to walk in faith without any responsibility. Because what will happen is you learn how to pray without having to work, without having to take care of anything. And so you develop the prayer life without any responsibilities in life as a single person. And then if you want to get married, then the moment you get married, boom, there's a responsibility in your life. You have a person right there all the time in your life. A person you have to think about, you have to care for. Then you have a little baby, which usually happens when you get married. And pretty soon you've got uh, another little responsibility running around that you're committed to, at least for 18 years. You, know, you made that sucker, you've got to take care of them. And so if you learned how to pray without responsibility, you remove everything, every obstacle in your life so you have time to pray. Then the moment you start living life, you have a wife, a husband, you have children, you have a job, responsibilities, you won't know how to pray. Your prayer will stop the moment you grow up. <laughs> you should always pray through responsibilities, not remove responsibilities to pray. Now, we have what's called false responsibilities, which are things you're not supposed to be worrying about. Get rid of them. Sometimes those are friends that you have in your life you need to get rid of. I had one, one young man, he was about to get married, and he was praying and working. And he said, I'm gonna, I've been praying lots of hours in the mornings and working in the afternoons, because we would start praying at 5.30 in the morning and pray till noon, a group of us. And he said, I'm going to, I think what I'm going to do is I'm getting married in, in like six months. So I'm going to pray less and work more to save up money so that when we get married, I will be debt free. And then I'll get back to prayer. And I said, oh, I've heard that story before. <laughs> it never works. I said, What'll hap- what happens? I said, you pray less and work more. You, you get enough money saved up to have a nice wedding paid for. And right after you get married, your little wifey's going to say, you know what, I want a house. And then you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to work more and pray less until I get my house, get the down payment for the house saved up. And then right when you get that done, she's going to say, oh, guess what, I'm pregnant. And now you're going to say, well, once I get the baby paid for, uh, then I'll get back to prayer. And then guess what? She's going to say, I'm pregnant with number two. <laughs> and then you'll be saying, well, once I get college paid for, and then you're going to wake up 30 years later, look back in your past and say, I had a calling. I never fulfilled it because I took, I lived my life after responsibility. So when we incorporate prayer into our life, it's not to remove the responsibilities. It's to learn how to pray with responsibilities how to be a good husband, a good wife, and take care of your family, take care of your responsibilities, and pray. I learned to pray outside of the prayer center when I was with Brother Norval. And Brother Norval was not a specifically, um, he was a spiritual man, but he wasn't as sold on hours of praying in tongues like Pastor Dave was. (laughs) And so if I ever tried to tell him I needed less work so I could pray more, one guy went to Brother Norval one time and said, Brother Norval, I love working for you, but you don't pay me enough. I need to raise if I'm going to stay. And Brother Norval said, well, it's been nice working with you. <laughs> yeah. 
He was a businessman at heart for sure. Well, that's what I would have probably been told if I said, I need more time to pray. So I had to squeeze my prayer time into my life and not push away the responsibilities that I had. And so when we get down to spiritual things, I want to define what I call a spiritual, what truly, truly is spiritual. A spiritual thing is something that if you touch it, you're changed forever. To me, that's the spiritual thing. If you touch it or it touches you, you're changed forever. Uh, we've all been to movies. If you're at movies and in certain movies, I remember, oh, which one was it? There was one movie. I, it was, I was embarrassed. I cried during it. It was uh, one about a horse. Uh, anyways, yeah, it was a horse. And the story, I, I, I was touched. And it was a touching moment. I was embarrassed that it was dark in the movie theater, so not too many people noticed I was crying, but it touched me emotionally. And that's what movies mainly are meant to do, is to grab something in you, in your natural emotions. But after the movie, I felt a good movie experience, but two days later it was over. There was no more, it was just a memory. It was no longer, it didn't change me, it touched me. And I want to be clear, there's a big difference in being touched to being changed. Because I don't want to spend my life being touched and not changing. I don't want to spend my life chasing an experience that doesn't change me or transform me. You can say amen to that. But my opinion right now is that most of, much of the church world that we know, the spiritual kind of church world, has become professional at touching people. And not changing people. They become professional at giving people experiences where they feel touched, connected, but nothing changes. So next week they need to come back for another touch, another connection. Otherwise they don't feel satisfied. There's longing, in essence, making addicts to people searching for purpose, searching for approval from God rather than helping them to grow up in God and walk in who they are. I don't know if I'm making sense or not. And so knowing that we have an outward man that's supposed to perish day by day in an inward man that's to be renewed day by day, that tells you something about your, yourself, your Christian walk, that you are wearing an outward man that's supposed to perish and an inward man that's supposed to be renewed day by day. And if you don't have that walk in your life, and I'm not really preaching to anyone here, I don't think, because most of us have already accepted a walk of the Spirit. But if you don't have that walk in your life where every day your outward man is perishing and every day your inner man is being renewed, then you're not walking a spiritual life. And so to define spirituality to me is something that changes me forever. Not an experience that I have or an experience that I went through that was nice, that was encouraging, that touched me, but really nothing changed. And there's numbers of numbers and numbers and numbers, or let me put it this way there's multitudes of good hearted believers out there who are accepting a what they call spiritual, but it's really not spiritual, it's an experience. 
And they're getting tired of not seeing change in their life. There's many people who, who don't care. They're, they don't know any better. They don't care. They're just happy to have an experience. But there's a multitudes of people who are becoming bored with the experience because it's not changing their home life. It's not changing their life. They've been prayed for, prophesied over, all kinds of things. And yet they're still in the same circle. That old song, she'll be coming around the mountain. You know, they're going around and around and around the mountain. And every time they come around, it's like one of those little, what do they call those at the playground? Little circular things. Merry-go-round. You get on the merry-go-round. Every time you go around, you got a friend who pushes the, pushes the merry-go-round and you go around again. And they try to get you going real fast and they push and push. Well, that's kind of what I mean by what the church, much of the church world today is calling spiritual, is they have a preacher, a prophet, an apostle, somebody pushing the miracle around, and you're spinning going around, and every week he comes and he spins you around, and you do good for a week, but every week you need another spin, and another spin, and another spin, and you didn't go anywhere. Nothing changed, but you felt good. What a shame to spend your whole life and feeling good about yourself, but never really walking in what God has for you. Because you are a spiritual creature. No one in the world is more spiritual than you are. People may walk more, listen more to their inner man, and their inner man may have grown more, matured more. But you are at heart a spiritual being, a spiritual creature. And at the same time, you're wearing an outward body. I'm trying to go to one verse, but I want to tackle all this first before I go to the one verse. The one verse has been kind of gnawing at me for a long time. In chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. Ashley will pull a Gary. Let's go to chapter 9. Genesis 1. No. <laughs> Let's go to chapter 9. And we'll start in verse uh, 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Now, I always had a problem with this verse, just because all through Scripture we see not to compete against each other or compare ourselves one to another. But here the Apostle Paul is talking about a race with a prize. And we're to run to try and win the race. Verse 25. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to attain a perishable crown, but we to obtain an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. So here the Apostle Paul say, I run my life like a race, a race where I'm trying to win. I'm trying to win a prize, and I'm trying to get first place, and I run a race, which means I am temperate in my life so that I can win the race. There's never, if you ever go to a, um, a marathon the night before, you'll see a lot of people eating carbs to, to have energy for the race. But you don't see very many people having like hamburgers and steaks 
Those are the pretend marathoners that know they're not going to finish. They're not trying to win. They're just trying to walk as far as they can before they pass out. But the real runners, they, they are temperate in their lifestyle so they can run, so they can win the race. If you're not trying to win the race, you're okay with not working, not trying to win the race. But if you're focused on winning the race, then your life is focused on it as well. So you can go out to the steakhouse the night before the marathon and find all the, the marathon runners eating hamburgers and steaks and, and you know everything you're not supposed to eat and cheesecake. And, and they say, yeah, we're going to win the race. And you can say, no, you're not. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure you're not in this to win it. <laughs> you're in this to say, I, I entered the marathon. <laughs> and, and so therefore, that's good enough. You know, I would be someone like that when it comes to marathon running. I could enter a marathon race just to get the badge to say I entered the race. Take one step, go and have a, a, a coffee and a cheeseburger and go, I was in the race. I'd be happy with that, you know, rather than work so hard to, to actually win a marathon race. So Paul is saying here, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. So I'm fighting like a champ to destroy, I'm fighting to destroy my opponent, say opponent. So in both of these examples Paul gives, he's talking about an opponent. There's someone you're racing against, and there's someone you are to beat up. Not play patty cake, but, you know, punch him in the mouth. Gary talks about when he used to fight, that he's, you know, felt his teeth get loose and taste the blood and... And they always say that if you're a good fighter, it's not so much that you can hit as much as you can take a hit and keep fighting. And so here he's talking about fighting to where you're trying to punch the teeth out of the other guy. I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to break your teeth, your nose, your eye socket. I'm going to hit you so hard that your mama's going to cry. So there's an opponent that we are racing against and we are to fight and beat up. Verse 27, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So here the Apostle Paul tells us who your opponent is. It's not the devil. It's not your past. It's not your spouse. It's not your boss. It's not other preachers, other entrepreneurs. Your opponent is your body, the body that you're wearing, the outward man that is to perish day by day. And what I have seen in the church world as a whole is that we have learned how to, and again, I'm not picking on us, I know better than to pick on us, but to, as a whole, we have designed a church around satisfying the outward man and creating even the spirit, because in the church world, you kind of have two veins. You've got the practical church folk. You go to that church, you'll find a lot of purpose. Welcome to our church. Glad you're born again. Please sign your name here. We've got a little visitor card. We won't bother you. It's a lie. But just put your name and address and your birthday on there. And, we, and, and then we're going to start inviting you to become part of our ministry. So you become a partner. You find purpose here. We feed the poor. We do all these works. We minister. And it's all good stuff. 
in so much of the church world, the practical church world is built on selling purpose. You feel lost, you, I've got a purpose for you, and we're going to do it in the name of God. But then there's another part of the church world, which is what I call the spiritual. They lean to spiritual things, to experiences. They're seeking the anointing. They're seeking the glory cloud. They're seeking open heavens. They're seeking signs and wonders and sensationalism. And these are a place you go to, you'll find words of knowledge. You'll find prophecy flowing. You'll find experiences where, where, where heaven comes to earth, as they say. Uh, and some of them, they go way over to where they have gold dust and gems showing up and angels singing in the choir and many different sensational things. And the spiritual people mock the practical people because, hey, you know, we're more spiritual than you are. And when you go down that kind of spiritual experience, I've seen people, including myself in the past, because I had a spiritual experience, that means that I am grown or God is using me because of my maturity. But that has nothing to do with maturity. In other words, you can have the greatest experiences in a spiritual type of experiences and be the most immature person in the world. Just because you prophesied doesn't mean that you're mature. Which brings me back to that young man who I tried to get to have a job for, many, for a long time. You need a job. Oh no, no, I'm going to pray and God's going to take care of me. Well, you're just trying to be a mama's boy is what you're trying to be. No, you want God to take care of you like your mama would. Where you just have to get up and she pays the bills and takes care of things and you don't have to worry. You're hiding from responsibility. And the young man came up to me one day and said, Hey, you'll never believe what happened. I said, What happened? Well, I was walking down the street and, and I saw a man who was, had a problem. I saw it in the spirit. And I said, Sir... Do you have a problem in your body? And he said, yes. As a matter of fact, I do. And he said, can I pray for you? Yes, you can. And, and so he's telling me the story. He's saying, you won't believe this. I prayed for him, and he said he felt God, and, and I seen it in the Spirit. And I said, oh, that's good. Praise God. And he looked at me and said, that's it? That's all you're giving me? That's all I get for my, my testimony? And I said, well, if you would have told me you got a job, I would have jumped up and down and shouted. But see, he was trying to hide his lack of responsibility. He was trying to hide behind spiritual things. You can say amen if I'm preaching okay. So our real race, our real fight is against the flesh that we're wearing, this body that you're wearing. Your real competition is not with another person. No man is holding you back. It's not against your spouse. Your real competition is this body that you're wearing. Paul goes on. Verse 1, chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink 
And they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So you want to talk about spiritual experiences. Paul's saying, our forefathers, they walked through the Red Sea. They watched it split in half. They would wake up and see a fire by night and a cloud by day that led them. They experienced spiritual experiences. Manna showed up every morning. They ate a manna freely every day. It just showed up. You want to talk about someone who had some spiritual experiences, some miracles in their lives, some signs and wonders. It's these guys. I'm still chewing on the drink of the spiritual rock that followed them. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them. As is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. The Israelites, when they left Egypt, they carried a lot of the Egyptian practices with them. And they had spiritual experiences with God, but it didn't remove the Egypt out of them. So just because they walked through the Red Sea, just because God fed them with manna, just because they had incredible experiences of cloud by day and a fire by night, it didn't remove Egypt out of them. And in fact, when Moses went up to the mountain and uh, came back with the Ten Commandments, they had created an idol, a calf, and they were, they were not just worshiping the calf, they were actually acting as fornicators and acting as Egypt. Because sexual things was a form of worship in that culture. It didn't remove, those spiritual experiences didn't remove the Egypt inside of them. And the warning for us for our culture, for us spiritual people, is that we don't want to chase spiritual experiences that don't change us. Otherwise, we will stay the same the rest of our life, thinking we're growing spiritually, but just tricking ourselves. But there is a spiritual path that is powerful, life-changing, world-changing. It'll change your future. It'll change your family. It'll help you to overcome your natural body, your outward man. Nor let us, verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 20,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. No complaining about my preaching today. Now all these things happened to them by examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So in other words, he's saying that's a history that we need to learn from, that you can get into the presence of God. You can see signs and wonders and experience incredible things and still hold on to your idols, still hold on to your fleshly activities and not change and not be transformed. I almost want to prophesy it. I don't know if I can. I don't want to speak it 
but there's an end coming to a certain road that a lot of preachers are on that are calling spiritual. And they're like Pied Pipers. They're leading people down a path of spiritual experiences that's leading them in a circle, like a merry-go-round, going round and around. And I want to prophesy, but I'm not going to prophesy. But that's coming to an end, a sudden end, when revival comes forward, the true revival comes forward. Verse 11, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge for yourself what I say. Then he goes into the communion. Now I'm going to go over to John chapter 14. We'll start in verse 15. Jesus is talking to his disciples here. Now, remember, Jesus has not died yet, has not been resurrected yet. Jesus has not been glorified yet. And therefore, because of that, they could not be um, born again. So in these verses, he's mostly telling them, hey boys, I'm glad that you worked with me and served with me. I'm glad that you laid hands on the sick and seen them recover. I'm glad that you cast out devils and watched them flee. But you're still going to go to hell unless you follow me into salvation. That being an Old Testament saint was not enough to get you into heaven. The Old Covenant was only to bring Jesus. It was not to replace Jesus. And so he looked at them and said, you're going to have to follow me into salvation. It's the same thing he told his mom when his mom showed up and said, I need to see my son, Jesus. And he said, who's my mother? Who's my brothers and my sisters? <laughs> you know, and we all know that our mom would beat the tar out of us. If you want to see Jesus beat up in front of his disciples, this would be the moment. But he was basically telling her, it's, I'm glad that you birthed me and, and went through all the experience, Mary, but unless you also accept me as your Savior and not just your Son, you will not go to heaven either. That he was teaching her that the true family was not the one you're born in, but who you're born again in. And unless you're born again through Jesus, you're not going to go to heaven. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I'll pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you. Now I'm going to pause there, because this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, you know him because he dwells with you. See, the Holy Spirit, he's been around forever. He's God. 
He was in the Old Testament. He's the one who did the miracles in the Old Testament. He was in the Old Testament, and he's in the New Testament. But there's something that changed where Jesus says, you know him, for he dwells with you, but, this is what I have underlined, and will be in you. See, what changed is not the Holy Spirit, but the fact that now after Jesus is glorified, the disciples could become born again. And the Holy Spirit can begin to stop operating from the outside and begin to operate from the inside. And you're looking at me saying, well, yeah, we know everything you're saying. A lot of people don't. A lot of people weren't blessed to sit under Pastor Dave and learn about the born-again nature. For us, if when I say born-again spirit, born-again nature... We have a thousand sermons that run through our mind. We know what that means. But for most people, they have no idea what, what happened to them when they were born again. They don't even know they have an outward man that they're fighting against. But he says here, he will dwell not only with you, but he'll be in you. Now I have that underlined because this is the most spiritual scripture In the whole Bible. More scriptural than gold dust, diamonds falling from heaven, glory clouds. Why are we seeking a glory cloud? Let me just stop and preach and pick a fight with some people. Why are we seeking glory clouds, fire from heaven, experiences, open heavens? Why are we seeking words and prophecies when we have the most spiritual experience waiting for us right here he will be in you when you were born again you were allowed to invite the holy spirit to come live in you to teach you from the inside out who you really are Verse 18, he says, I'll not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So he says, I'll not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you to figure out life all by yourself. I'm not going to leave you to figure out how to survive, how to feed yourself, how to find your future. I will send to you someone, a helper, a comforter, a teacher, a guide, who will walk with you and teach you who you are. There's more spiritual power in 10 minutes of praying in the Holy Ghost than there is with a thousand hours of sitting in services. I don't care who the anointed prophet is, apostle is, teacher is. You learn more in 10 minutes of praying in tongues than you will from the best teacher in the world. But yet we have a whole culture of Christians searching for a quick answer, a new answer, a fast answer. They're searching for something new all the time. All right, let me go to Acts chapter 17. I wasn't planning on going here yet, but... Verse 16, chapter 17. I was in Nicaragua, and they had a... um, 
a Bible there in Managua where they took me to go see this Bible. And they had encased it in plexiglass. And basically what it was doing with this Bible was oozing oil by itself. And they were collecting the oil and selling it or giving it away for a special anointing. Well, that's not even spiritual. But because it's something that's unique and out of this world, they classified it as a spiritual experience. Go get some of this special oil, which I nicknamed demon oil, because it came from the Holy Bible. It must have been God. Listen, we've been sold a spiritual experience which is much like the Old Covenant. That was the problem in 1 Corinthians, was they were full of spiritual experiences while they had sin running rampant in their church. And the spiritual experiences did not force them to confront their sin. Paul called them puffed up. And what it does is when we seek spiritual experiences, when I'm saying that I'm talking about anointings, glory, glory clouds. Oh, what Dwight Thompson, he's an evangelist, was raised an evangelist. And uh, he said when he was a kid, his father had a, was a tent evangelist. And he would climb up top of the tent and through a hole he'd take like baby powder, pump it into the air And the crowd would go crazy thinking it was the glory cloud. He was a prankster. I think he still is a prankster. But we get excited about those type of things. I was preaching up in Canada one time. And and we were having lunch with the pastor. And after I preached and another person came in. Said, hey pastor so and so. He didn't know me but he knew the pastor. I just came from a revival. They had... And he named all these things. Man, we had gold dust. We had gems and angel feathers. And I said, oh, I didn't know angels had feathers. And my, the pastor friend of, me gave me, friend of mine gave me the evil eye. Like, whoa, whoa, don't pick a fight, please. I have many people I know who are chasing after those experiences and giving them credit. When really, if you really want to see who's spiritual, go back to the Old Testament saints who... I mean, what's more dramatic than having the sea, the Red Sea, split? Like, boom, there we go. And I have now outdone all your gold dust in one shot. But they were still, even with those great experiences of God's power and God's presence, were idolaters at heart. Because experiences do not challenge you to change. Many times they encourage you that you don't have to change because look what you got without having to give up anything. Many times they empower you to justify areas of your life. But I'll tell you what won't. You spend 10 minutes praying in tongues and the first thing the Holy Ghost says is, hey, what's over here behind this little door? No, stay away from there. I don't want to deal with that. That's why Pastor Dave always says, if you, if you don't want to change, you'll quit praying in tongues. Because the Holy Ghost, he's not going to use your life up. He's going to change your life. There's no more spiritual experience than praying in the Holy Ghost.
You actually have God, God teaching you. (laughs) You have God on the inside of you renewing that inner man and helping you to mortify, to help the outer man to perish. To where the outer man quits telling you who you are and you start to learn from your inner inward man who you really are. You're a new creature in Christ. Where am I now? Chapter 17, verse 16. Now Paul waited for them at Athens. His spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews, with the Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain... Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer for foreign gods because he preaches to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you are bringing some strange thing to our our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear of something new, of some new thing. That these weren't Christians, these were Athenians. But the culture was to pursue the new thing. The new God, the new knowledge, the new revelation. And I'm not calling Christians who are seeking spiritual experience unsaved or heathen at all. But I am trying to say that idolatry has crept into the church and has masked itself as spiritual experiences. Where you are pursuing the new thing all the time. I'm looking for the new revelation. I'm looking for the secret key. I'm looking for the, you know, and you shop out, especially with social media. You can spend your day shopping different preachers, looking for someone to give you something fresh, something new. And if that's what you do is you're a salesman of new things, my gosh, you got to come up with a new thing every week. Otherwise, they find someone else. Pastor Dave told me one time, he said, Alan, When I travel and preach, the worst thing I could do is try to compete with other preachers. Because I got to be me and do my thing. And he was saying how you follow some preacher who has a great service. And if you're competing with him, you can. And he was warning me of not stepping into sensationalism, trying to pursue competing or being as good as the other people. And then he said, then worse than that, Alan, is if you have a good service. One Sunday. And the next Sunday, you want to compete with the service you had last Sunday. Because, you know, there's preachers who build their whole ministry on giving uh, great testimonies. The problem is, once you've given all your great testimonies, the people, they follow you because of your great testimonies. So now you have to give a great testimony every week. And that's when you get into making up stories. Hear stories. <laughs> One time I was watching a, 
uh, video, and this guy said, we were translated. Glory to God, we were translated. And the two of them were on the video saying, yeah, we were driving down Interstate I-10 through Phoenix. And there was a Covenant truck is the name of a truck and brand. And we were talking, and we were on mile 75. I'm, it was not that, but 275 or whatever. And the next thing you know, we were at our exit at mile 294 and almost missed it. And there was a different truck, a covenant truck in front of us. It was a miracle. We didn't even feel it. We were translated. And if you ever drive down Interstate 10, you'll find out there's a million uh, well, a million is exaggeration. There's a hundred thousand, a thousand, tens of thousands of covenant trucks. You know, that's their route. But they were so desiring to be respected for having a spiritual experience that they talked themselves into testifying, hey, that uh, <laughs> we were translated those extra 10 miles. We don't know why, but praise God. Because if you have a spiritual experience, you will be exalted by people who are seeking spiritual experiences. One guy I know who has great testimonies, and then he has to keep coming up with great testimonies. And then you start hearing stories about raising the dead. I raised the dead. Really? Yeah, I went into his room. He was asleep. And I poked him. He didn't move. I prayed for him and left him, and he woke up the next morning and raised him up from the dead. You can get so desperate that you start searching for ways to make yourself look spiritual. And there's no easier way for the devil to step in and start to pretend he's God to lead you down a path where you lead others down a path of sensationalism, idolatry. If we're seekers of something new, we're seekers of something big, Understand that the Old Testament saints walked with God where they heard God, they saw God, they saw miracles, they saw signs and wonders, they saw angels. Much of the church, how do I say this? Much of the church is forcing God to deal with them as Old Testament saints because they're seeking spiritual experiences rather than seeking the spiritual experience Spending time with the helper, the guide, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Where if you spend 10 minutes praying in other tongues, do you understand that a river of truth and knowledge just flowed out of you? And that will change you from the inside out. It will challenge you to change your life, to remove things from your life. Things you don't even know are a problem. You pray in tongues for a few years, you start thinking, you, you're, I got it together. And all of a sudden you hear this little knock on the door inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit opening up another door to your natural man, your natural soul saying, oh, look what I found. Some more trash to take out. It's like my wife, you know, go clean the fridge. Okay, it's clean. Then she'll go in behind me or behind the kids. (laughs) No, it's not. She'll find all kinds of stuff that you didn't see. Well, the Holy Ghost is like your wife. He will find the things that you didn't see that need to be cleaned up. And that's why many people don't pursue that. They pursue experiences. And it's dangerous. It's caused the church to have powerless experiences. 
the way Pastor Dave was, would always say, bring my crippled kid to a, a service. I don't care about gold dust, diamonds, gems, open heavens, glory clouds. I want my baby healed. That's the real power of God. Verse 17 of chapter 14 of John. One more time. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither knows him or sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. You know the Holy Spirit because he dwells with you. As Old Testament saints, they experienced the move of God from the outside. But Jesus said there's something more powerful than that. There's something more powerful than the Red Sea splitting, than manna showing up every morning, than being set free from the Egyptians. There's something more powerful than the the rock, the spiritual rock following them and giving them water out of a rock. There's something more spiritual than those experiences, than a cloud by day and a fire by night. There's something more spiritual, and that is the Holy Ghost coming from outside to inside of you. And if you just take a little time and pray in the Holy Ghost and allow Him to pray through you, you will begin to transform into the person God wants you to be. Let's quit trying to get God to accept us and let's start pursuing Him because with Him will come, with the help of the Holy Spirit, will come true holiness, true love, true joy, True peace, true kindness, true long-suffering. That is the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit that comes forward that can be you. But it's not going to happen just because you want someone. Please lay hands on me. I want to be free. Okay, I'll lay hands on you, but there's there's also a better path. Spend time praying in the Holy Ghost. Because He knows why you want that sin. He knows why you want that to play that game. He knows why you're driven in the wrong way. And he'll begin to uncover it and help remove it from you. Too much of the church is dealing with the gifts. And we talk sometimes about the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. And too much of the church is talking about the gifts. Your life, your life, by the way, is not your own. How do I preach this carefully? Your life is not your own. Why are you running around living your life how you want to live it when it really belongs to God? I'm not preaching to anyone in the room, of course. I'm preaching to anyone else who's listening. Our life's not our own. But yet we find many multitudes of Christians chasing approval from God, affirmation from God. They're not laying their life down. Don't don't pretend you're growing spiritually. Don't pretend. Don't pretend that you're spiritual because you have spiritual experiences. And then have idolatry of yourself where you live your life how you want. Anyone who's not pursuing God, not pressing into God, not spending time with the Holy Ghost, you're going to live your life for your flesh, for your outward man. You'll be glad to tell you. You'll, you'll end up in heaven and say, I run my race well, God. 
I got 100,000 people saved. I raised this much money for the gospel. And the Lord would say, no, no, I'm afraid you came in second. Your flesh lived better than you. Your outward man ruled your life and rode you like a horse. And you submitted to it and gave it what it wanted to keep it happy. But I went to church. I had experiences. You made your flesh, your outward man, your idol and let it run your life. You worshiped your flesh. You gave it what it wants. Your outward man will be glad to have you live on the street under a bridge rather than grow up. Your outward man is that much of a control freak. (laughs) It will want to lead your steps and guide your steps. It will tell you how to make it happy. This is what I need to be happy. And you give it a little bit every day just to make it through the next day. I'm telling you there's a walk of the Spirit that will change your future. It will challenge you. It will challenge your fears. It will challenge your insecurities. It will challenge your idolatry. It will challenge your sins. It will challenge your lack of holiness and force you. It will force you to face things you don't want to face. Because you've got to kill that outward man. And this Holy Spirit will get in there and give you courage to face it. But if you don't pray in tongues, you won't find the courage. You think you will, but you'll get wore out. You cannot mortify the flesh with the flesh. It doesn't work. You'll pretend, oh, you got me. (laughs) Oh, I'm dead. You got me. No. No, you have to mortify the flesh through the Spirit. Let's keep praying in tongues. Let's keep that our mission. Let's understand. I can go to the biggest convention of spiritual prophets in the land and preach this message. And they would laugh at me. We can't out-preach deception. You can't out-teach deception. We have to walk in truth. We have to walk in true revival. And it's worth whatever the price is in our lives to walk this out. Whatever the price is for you to get a prayer life and keep a prayer life, that's your fight. That's your spiritual walk. There's just a, there's a there's just some nail I have to hit on the head. I'm trying to find exactly what it is for us, because we can become complacent ourselves. We can hide behind. I go to the prayer center. I confess the word. All those things that we do, they're good to challenge and change us. But we have to remember most powerful thing we can do the way you don't run from your flesh praying in the Holy Ghost fasting confessing the word meditating the word private worship these are things that cause you to grow and mature spiritually and you can attend the prayer center but never change you can learn how to speak the right language How to say the right things. I heard people for years who decided to quit praying. They would come talk to, never to me, but to people I know. And I saw a movie one time. The guy was a uh, a jokester. But he'd always say, with all due respect. And then after he said, with all due respect, he'd say, with all due respect, you're ugly. With all due respect, you're fat. With all due respect, you're stupid. And someone said, you know, you can't. 
You can't just say whatever you want after you say all due respect. <laughs> oh, yes, I can. Well, I found people who gave up on prayer but continued to walk as if they were praying. And they would come around people that I care for and say, and all due respect. And what they, instead of saying all due respect, they would say, Oh, I believe in praying in tongues. I fasted and I did all of that. Then they would say, but really there's more than just that. Really, there's an easier path than that. Trying to dislodge their hope into prayer. Who's going to give you more hope? Who are you going to trust more than the Holy Spirit with your life? Who are you going to trust more than the Holy Spirit with your future? Well, how do I know if I'm doing it? Are you spending time praying in tongues? That's your answer. Because there's areas of your life that are holding you back. They're hidden in your outward man. And you think it's you. And it's going to lead you to a path of powerlessness. Powerless to change your future, to change your finances, to walk in your calling. Powerless to help in your your family, your marriage, your kids. But you won't know it. That's the power of deception. But if you spend a little bit of time praying in the Holy Ghost every day, you will change all of that. He will put your nose right to it and say, Look, look. No, my, it's my, my husband needs to change. My job needs to change. We've got to get a different preacher. We need a different church. We need a different prophet. And the Holy Ghost will go, down here, what, what, down, down here, what? You're running a race against your flesh. Quit looking elsewhere. People shopping preachers like crazy, trying to find a simple answer, a quicker way. And they're wasting their time. Go pray in the Holy Ghost. Spend time with the real teacher. You are released. We'll see you at 10 o'clock.